Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello and welcome to Drive-by Cinema episode 18A. I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode where we talked about IO again. But I'm back again with my co-host Paul. I'm waving from the happy bus. And our special guest, <laughs> Alistair. Hello, thank you for letting me stay. <laughs> now, we've got to get on this time and actually talk about the movie that we watched this week, which was, Paul? It's Infinity Chamber. Good. Okay. From 2017. I mean, you didn't know that, did you? But first, you've got some corrections, I think. Oh, hell yeah, let me find them. Not so much corrections, just uh, well, some tittle-tattle to talk about. Rabbits and goats. You promised to explain the difference between <laughs> alpacas and llamas, and the difference between Angora and mohair. It's here. Okay. So mohair, as, here we every, go. as everybody knows, any is, fool knows, is uh, the hair from of a an animal. But a Angora, goat. a goat. Yes, Angora, not a rabbit. Can no angora can be that of an angora rabbit or that of an angora goat, and therein no. lies the confusion. Yes. Oh, so you thought they were both rabbits, whereas in fact they can possibly be both goats, but not both rabbits. Would you like me to describe this with Venn diagrams, Richard? Yes, I would. Okay. <laughs> if you could describe <laughs> the diagram. <laughs> so angoras can be rabbits and they can be goats. Not the same. Well, possibly the same animal. Could like <laughs> they change. can in the film that we watched, yes, but not normally. <laughs> so therein lies the confusion. Angora sweaters presumably are rabbit hair or rabbit fur, right? Okay, and the now, rabbit has to die, I presume, to to give you a sweater, does it? Yeah. Now, as you rightly pointed out, you already solved the alpaca llama mystery for me. Alpacas are the same as llamas, but have never been in a Jeff Minter computer game. <laughs> Finished. What more do you want from me? Alistair, are you aware of the difference between an alpaca and a llama? I think alpacas are just smaller llamas, yes. aren't they? Although yeah. they're like llamas, but smaller. I remember I was once stood next to a field of alpaca um, wow. near Lancaster, where I live. Um, and there, were these, there was this young couple looking at them. And she said, what are these? I said, they're alpacas. And she went, what are they? I'm thinking, well, they're right here next to you. What, what do you mean? <laughs> they're like small. I said, well, they're like small llamas. And she went, What's a llama? Like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like a bigger version of these. <laughs> Llamas are used as beasts of burden and are generally a, a sort of more aggressive, I think. They're quite bad-tempered, aren't they? They, they can be. I they think. can spit, yeah. I believe. So can alpacas, though, but it's nowhere near as offensive. Are we talking about the, c- the colour out of space, by the way? is That that was last week. Because uh, the, the one oh. thing that you didn't mention was that, um, it's just a little factoid, is that Ezra, the... Um, the the hippie guy who was the squatter yes, the on squatter, the land yeah. um, was played by Tommy Chong, as in of Cheech and Chong fame. No way! Yeah, that was Tommy <laughs> Chong. That is a real claim to fame. And I don't recognize him. Kind of <laughs> yeah, I thought he was great. I, I liked him. I, I thought he was really good. That film disturbed me quite a bit, actually. It was a decent horror, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was good. I, have you read much Lovecraft? Uh, Me, no, I've not read any Lovecraft. This was my actual. I'll be honest. This was my first exposure to any Lovecraft of, of any form. I am now intrigued. I must say, yes. I, I thought it was very, very clever, very, very smart. Let's introduce the movie for this week then, 
but only after a musical sting. This is strange to begin with before I watched it because the first thing I do is obviously type in the title of the movie and Wikipedia or Wiki in my search bar. And interestingly, nothing came up for this movie at all. This movie does not exist on Wikipedia. It's the first movie that I found to be so. And this I found rather strange, just like the chamber in which our protagonist was contained it was not visible to the outside world. So this movie is not visible to the inhabitants of Wikipedia. I thought it was interesting to start off with. It's not the first movie the director or writer has done. And being how this movie is all about a governmental mind control, it's a very polybius, or po- po- polybius moment, I thought, to reference Jeff Minter, Jeff, Jeff Minter once, once again. Yeah, very What's strange. Jeff Minter got to do with Polybius? Polybius, sorry. Well, well, he's actually released a, move, uh, a, a computer game called Polybius. Oh, yeah. I see. So Polybius, for those who don't know, ah, is a mythical sorry. video game, which purportedly was a form of mind control, like that an MKL start thing. Uh, yeah, it was a myth. It was a pure myth. But you're saying that Jeff Minter has actually produced a Polybius game. Like, yeah, I'm not sure it's actually the Polybius game of myth. Uh, which in itself was an indiscoverable, but by, by its by its very nature of being enmeshed into the arcades of the 1980s. But uh, but no, it's, it's released a game called Polybius, which is a take on the idea that the game cannot be put down. It's infinitely addictive, kind of thing. Okay, so 2017 Infinity Chamber. Yeah, what's uh, it about, Paul? Protagonist is called Frank, and. Yes. Uh, Alison, you were just saying it's hard to carry a movie with two people. The actor that plays Frank, and I'm not sure if he's famous or not, he has to carry a movie on his own. Well, not with, on a, his own. with a robot. He's got with a, a robot, robot to help him. Who isn't Gertie. So <laughs> and go. he's got an imaginary girlfriend as well. Oh, yeah. 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 So, ladders on ladders, steps within steps, kaleidoscope within your mind. This is a movie, I guess, about. In very simple terms, about what is real and what is not real, how do we view reality? What is all that stuff? And it, I think he just shrugs at the end and says, "Well, we don't really know." Frank gets imprisoned. We see him at the start being captured, and he then wakes up in a cell. And really, the whole movie takes place in that cell, with the odd exception. His only contact with the outside world, or with anybody, or anything, is a computer voice that speaks to him through a camera that's observing him in the cell. And he has to ask for things from the computer. And the whole movie, really, is him figuring out how to get out, I think. get the hell out, yeah. Well, can I just say, it's a really nice prison cell. People would pay good money to be Marie Kondo'd into that kind of minimalist beauty it's a wonderful probably more space than i've got it would be ideal for contemporary urban living space yeah Yeah. two the little cctv cam that can talk kind of bears a stark resemblance to darth vader his little helmet it's like cctv you get in shops isn't it yeah but he looks really like darth vader upside down darth vader an upside down darth vader yeah Yeah. (laughs) now this was a film on a budget uh, oh, and it? a budget that they use very effectively. You know the wall of his cell has yeah. got all those kind of plastic holes in them with lights in. Yeah. And it's got that big hole with the mind control. The mind control. Thing. Yeah. The wall around it 
that was all kind of bottle crates or milk crates. Oh, wow. The producers or directors stole from a convenience store from around the back without realising they were kind of on return. <laughs> when he did, he took them back after the film was, was done. So it's like recycling in action. I thought the set worked. Considering the budget that they had, you know, I think I think they did a pretty good job with it, didn't and they? And they stretched the budget to include the whole edition of a Parkinol sort of wingback <laughs> armchair. <laughs> yeah, and very comfortable looking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I could live there. And nicely offsetting the stark, the stark brutality of the rest, of the rest of his room. So, but I have to say, I found this quite affecting. This movie, yeah, I was, I did. I found it very difficult to watch at times because Why? he's in this situation where, early on, he starts talking to this computer camera that's observing him, and he figures out inside a day, I think, that he's speaking to a computer, not to another human being. Yeah, he just starts asking it, you know, like, "Hello, Paul." Hello. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello, Paul. Hello. And he figures out that because it's not, it's an- answering the same thing all the time. It's that it must be a computer. And that's a realisation that, you know, he's in a system and there's no way for him to get representation or, you know, where's habeas corpus gone in this world? Hmm. I-, I found this quite a disturbing dystopian vision, perhaps yeah. more so than, you know, environmental disaster and everyone dying is the idea that you can just be imprisoned and there's just no mechanism for you to be released or get any civil rights or justice to be served. It's horrifying. Connectedly, I would say the dystopian interpretation of pay points and scanners at purchase points. I mean, I think we're only just realising now. We're only just coming to our senses about the mammothly scary informational system we've created for ourselves that we simply can't escape. And that at the moment checks our credit worthiness and our financial readiness to pay, but could be used for just, you know, a whole slurry and a whole slew of different things or different either malevolent or, 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 or otherwise purposes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a movie that's designed to disturb, isn't it? I mean, and it's not fiction either. There are people living like this, aren't there? Most notably, I suppose, Guantanamo Bay, but... You know, there are people in immigration detention centres. You've just got no access or recourse to normal, you know, due process. It's unthinkable. And it shouldn't that, be. That's what I found it terrifying for the same terrifying. reason, actually. Yeah. yeah, really scary. I thought this is, this is, um, it's a theme that I've, I find unnerving, which is, it's all about the exercise of power um, yeah. over people and how there can be systems that can leave you completely powerless. And there's a lot said in, in workplaces about how, lack of control and freedom or felt freedom can induce stress and and I've, I've thought about people who were in you know a, a, a subject to what do they call it is it extraordinary rendition is that what they call mm. it when mm. you yeah, just get a euphemism yeah yeah where you just get um indefinitely imprisoned without any judicial process whatsoever yeah, a euphemism absolutely yeah mm. and it's it's, I think it is really quite unnerving. And so when you've got a situation like that, when he, he he literally has no one to talk to about it, where there's a computer that seems to be malfunctioning as well. Yeah. And he obviously, Frank's thing is he's saying that he's it's, it's a case of mistaken identity and that's due to the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's a bit more complicated than that, but... It, yeah, actually it's not, is it? That's the thing. I think he is guilty. Or Oh, he is, yeah. Yeah. I think but- he is. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe you just come to believe that. Ah, well, that's a bit 1984 then, isn't it? <laughs> we, we start to get Orwellian 
truly Orwellian. This film is Orwellian. I was just going to say that, you know, he's not, not only is he being imprisoned, but he's being kept in solitary confinement as well, yeah. which is, you know, is it, I'm not sure it's against the Geneva Convention, but it's certainly, I think it's like a human rights violation, isn't it? Being it can be classed solitary. as a form of torture, I think, if yeah. you're in solitary for prolonged periods. Yeah, I think you are. You, you, you. At the very least, you must be allowed to exercise, which the which he has got. He's got a treadmill in his a um, treadmill that comes out of the wall. Out of the wall, yeah. yeah. So the AI won't tell him why he's there because I assume the AI thinks that he knows anyway. Mm. Uh, and so he's. I mean, is it Kafkaesque? We would say the situation. You know, a very kind of small, uncontrollable kind of dead and world where there seems to be no escape. There is sketched out an idea of this totalitarian state. They yeah. call it ISN, don't they, that he's imprisoned by. And I think there's a shot at one point that sees kind of drones going through the streets. Some kind. Of, I think the drones rather than flying cars. I'm not sure what you thought about them, Paul. I know you're very sceptical of drones as a technology. You <laughs> barely believe they exist in reality, let alone hey, in science fiction. steady on there. Down, down, boy. We're not really sure why or how this power structure exists other than that it does and then these two goons show up with guns and shoot him presumably non-lethally but i think the movie intended to bamboozle us with kind of gobbledygook names for government agencies sr reports idp iso which we'll later find out what that means isn gsl so i mean it's kind of intentionally setting the emotional distances of his captors away from Away from Frank's experience from the very Where beginning. was this supposed to be set, anyway? I don't know. It felt a bit Canadian. <clears throat> he gets on the metro, doesn't he, at one point? He uses public transport, which is very not very American, is it? Maybe it didn't matter where it was. It's one of those. It could be anywhere in the world. And we don't really know where he's being confined, do we? Maybe it's irrelevant. All of the, you, I think, Paul, you're onto a good thing with all of those abbreviations and acronyms and things. What it made me think of was about yeah. the horror of being trapped in a bureaucratic system. Which I think I think that's what it's supposed to do is that, is that you know well there's no there's no humanity here there is just a system and processes I think that's that's the that's the phrase that the the, the Howard, AI yeah. uses with him it's yeah. called Howard isn't he the the computer he just keeps saying right. that Frank's being yeah. processed but doesn't explain what that is or whether it's a stage in something else. You know, is he there just for like initial? Because processing is usually when people arrive at somewhere yeah. like a, a refugee camp. Oh, well, you're here for processing and then you'll be moved on. Um, so Frank doesn't know whether he's just there for a short time or not. So not metamorphosis, just processing. And it, I think that was the, the feeling of just being stuck as in, in a system. And I think the use of all of those abbreviations and acronyms, because they do, I think some of them are yeah. meant to be like forms to be filled in, aren't they? Oh, you, got, you don't need to do this one. You need to do this one. You need to go around the corner to this office. And Well, Howard can give him various different beverages. He's got a range of different ones to choose from. He can have coffee or three different kinds of flavoured water, I think. And he's got a menu of three different lockdown foods, uh, which were basically beef, chicken or veg. Uh, they're all kind of like a soup-like Oh, what, what what do they get served? Gruel in Oliver Twist, isn't it? Gruel, <laughs> yeah. It looks horrible. But convenient. <laughs> to summarise, basically, Frank keeps dropping into dreams and, and sleep that we don't immediately... Oh, well, they're induced, aren't they? That, we don't that, realise that. That fan thing with the flashing lights seems to maker. induces sort yeah. of memory or dream states or fugue states. I don't know what they are. And he keeps going back to the moment where he was captured, which turns out was in a coffee shop. I thought it was Starbucks. It looks like a Starbucks. So he keeps returning to that, but each time it's a little bit different. Well, it's like a memory, isn't it? Memories yeah. are not 
are not video recordings. You reconstruct them and different details get emphasized or changed each retelling. And then, you know, you build on that each time, each time around, don't you? Mom, have you texted my married with kid children again? <laughs> that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, very similar, yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> why, is, why is Holmes under the hammer on this again, Mum? Ah, oh, the joys of VHS. So well, there'll be people listening to this podcast who don't even know what you're talking about or why you would need to record a television program, let alone let alone a VHS cassette. So to summarise, this movie is Groundhog Day in an escape room gone AWOL. It's, as I said, it's a romantic comedy, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Only the woman he's in his imagination for at least 90% of the movie. Uh, and he still fails to get off with her for most of it. Which is a sad indictment, isn't it, on his ability? Really, because they they looked like they were living together at one point in his memories. Eventually, toward the end, and I suppose she was very um, flirtatious with him at the start, wasn't she? She's well, she did that thing where name. I don't I don't know whether this is meant to be a reference to him not maybe losing his sense of identity, but she plays the game where she's trying to guess his name. Yeah, yeah. well, she nails it there, doesn't she? She gets yeah. it right when she holds his hand. So you said I thought I thought these progressive flashbacks were kind of conscious and willed. At which point I was like, "Why is he arguing with a figment of his own imagination? Has he gone bonkers?" But no, well, believe this is more like an induced dream state that he can't really control. Yeah, he was working with the woman. Let's just call her Gabby. He was working with her to plan an escape attempt, and it involved her doing. I can't remember what it was. But it involved her doing something to help him escape. But that was all part of the plan for him to escape to then recapture him, presumably learning more about him in the process. In the early iterations of this memory sequence, he's yeah. very upset about being scanned, isn't he? He is, It yeah. seems that he, he pays for his coffee with some kind of biometric thing, which is quite clever, really, isn't it? But it's just this laser scanner that somehow identifies him, and that's how they find him. The, well, the weird thing about that is if he's, if he's inventing this memory, then why does it matter? Or if it happened, then you know why change it? But it seems like pretending that he didn't scan himself means that he doesn't get captured in his dream, so he's able to then carry out or have a deeper conversation with this imaginary woman in his head. It's difficult to parse when you think about it, isn't it? It made sense whilst I was watching it, but not not now. (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice that in his home, he's got a laptop on the wall, like with the keyboard vertically? Did anyone notice that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I, didn't, weird, know, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't, but, yeah. Yeah, I didn't notice that. that. No. I, I, see, I see something like that. I think there must be some significance in that, but I couldn't for the life of Well, we know he's into computers because it, it, it transpires, spoiler alert as usual. Uh, you know, at the end of the movie, it turns out that he really was sort of designing computer viruses to take down this whole ISN computer-based security system. Uh, and he's part of the... It's called the resistance, or the, mm-hmm. the I don't know, the Rebel Alliance. Uh, and it, there's a crisis that comes part way through the film where I think the power goes out, or something, and the computer stops responding, and his gruel dispenser stops working properly, and he has to start collecting raindrops from the the roof. He, he talks through the um, air vent to the cell next door, and it turns out in the cell next door, there's the leader of this resistance organization is in that cell and you we know that because you heard his name on a news report earlier on mm-hmm. and he chats with him through this this event doesn't he this guy initially is quite optimistic he says you know obviously they're you know they've you know a, a team of one as it were and they're going to come and get us out and then he starts like trying to chisel his way through the concrete Fletcher yeah. May 
that man be his name? It was Fletcher May. Fletcher May, that's right, yeah. You get this sense that there is this resistance group working against this. But but was that real or was that part well, of his imagination? This is my first point of confusion was yeah. I thought I, 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 I mistook my own idea of where the narrative was going because I thought the virus, whoever was building a virus, had been successful in bringing down the whole of the kind of computer network. Which later transpired to be not true because how would the AI boots back up again? Yeah. Yes. So, so at this point, I, I just got very confused about where the story wanted me to go, where it was actually going. So I, I can't really answer your question because I just got so confused at this point. But I think, looking back, I think you're supposed to think actually that was fake. Also, it's one potential way of looking at it is that it is all 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 that transpired was there to give him a false sense of security. So that he would reveal where he had hidden the key with the virus, the virus master copy. The thing about the whole mind control narrative is they get this thing on the wall that flashes lights in his eyes and it sends him into these dreams. But it's not like Howard the computer then interrogates him about the contents of his dream, or does it? But how are they getting information out of him if this is an interrogation technique? It doesn't seem to be... It doesn't seem to be fruitful at all. I, don't, I didn't understand that. I was wondering if they were had they had some way to kind of read his scan, mind. Yeah, scan his brainwaves or something and find a way out of it. But the whole we're not setup, given any hint that they have that tech. No, and the thing is, the whole setup, especially when he when he gets out and moves around a little bit, it, you can see it's all a bit. It is. It looks a bit low tech actually. Doesn't low it, tech, when he's out yeah. there. It doesn't look very. Very well well built. Isn't there also a suggestion that Frank may have had some part in designing it? Oh, at some point, or well, he but, certainly knows a lot about Howard, doesn't he? When he finds out he's an AI, he says, "Are you a model what a six or uh-huh. generation six or something?" Yeah. No, I'm twelve. Yeah, so that, or maybe that was because of the whole thing that he'd been involved in the virus that that brought it down, and they're just trying to tease things out of him. Maybe that was what the whole thing with having the was it Fletcher May? Did he say having him or someone purporting to be him yeah. in the next cell was was to try to provoke some kind of response in Frank? Yeah, um, isn't it? Does it not suggest at the end of the film again? Maybe spoiler alert, but I could be wrong here. Is it? Does it not suggest that Frank was the leader of the movement? You'd assume he'd have to be high up in it, yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, but perhaps successfully concealing his identity. Maybe the virus gave them the idea that the, this other guy was the leader. Oh, that's a possibility, isn't it? But I, I must admit, I'm, I'm with you on on this, Richard. I, does, I, I didn't quite get how they were actually obtaining information from it but maybe that's part of the thing that's you know the system's gone wrong hasn't it it's not working so maybe mm. something else was supposed to happen and somebody was supposed to come in and talk to him whilst this was going on but presumably humans have put him in there so you would well, think the odd that- thing is at the beginning he's asking howard you know why am i here you know you must be able to find out after a while howard says oh yeah i found an error it turns out that you were transferred from the same place that you've ended up, and that's that's logically impossible, so <laughs> that can't be right. So that does suggest something has gone wrong. Maybe that is the virus at work. But mm. it's only like halfway through the movie, which, by the way, seemed to be a lot longer than it was. <laughs> but about halfway through the movie, <laughs> during one of his dream sequences when he's pretending he's outside again, all these explosions go off in the city behind him, and that seems to coincide with the power cut and everything stopping working in the cell itself, which is, I suppose, somehow connected. 
I think the implication is that's the point where the resistance strike mm-hmm. and everything stops working before Howard reboots. But that means that that bit can't be in his mind, doesn't it? Mm. Well, slow down. So you're you're taking the approach, and I think this would be the standard interpretation that what happens in the room is what happens in the room. What happens in his dreams, although to him seem real and not real, and what happens Uh-oh. outside actually happens outside, yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm going to get vertigo here, aren't I? <laughs> Alice has just mentioned the alternative hypothesis, which okay. I read online, which is he is the leader of the resistance. What happens in the room isn't necessarily a reflection. What happens outside are all mind games to control him. But when they take the poke, when they play the poker card and get the guy who's not who's an actor or is a you know an AI recreation of of the supposed leader of the Alliance Fletcher May, when they play that card, and he knows, because he is the leader of the Alliance, he knows that that guy ain't real. At yeah. that point, he knows everything is made up. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Then he pretends that he doesn't know that he has to mislead them in his mind, but actually does do, so that when they think they found the real virus master key, they haven't. They've been misdirected to a second misdirection. In actual fact, he's won the game. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. My blow. Deep, man. Okay. Completely. Okay. Does that make sense or not? I think so. The bits in so. the coffee shop can't be real, right? Because when she first asks him what he wants, he just says coffee. Like she doesn't go, <laughs> do you want tall, grande, venti? Do you want espresso, cappuccino, latte? He says coffee. That can't possibly be real. Well, you didn't simply know, wouldn't you? You just go, hang on. That's a that's a, like a Michael Douglas falling down moment, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I, I just want a coffee. <laughs> Pull, real terrorist pulls out numerous guns and starts shooting people. And all the dream sequences were really bad, like dubbed. Like they had really bad sound, I think, when they recorded it in the coffee shop. So they had to go over and do it all again. Did, he, did anyone notice that? I, oh, well, I thought, I thought they, they, they felt a bit spongy to me. Hmm. Uh, you, see, uh, you know, a bit sort of like not entirely real. So maybe that was a, I don't know if it was you know, My thought was they it. were trying to be David Lynch and he does the dream, dream sequences take backwards, doesn't he? So, <laughs> like to make them really freaky. And they'd gone for a cheap, like lo-fi version of a David Lynch dream sequence. But obviously not. They just didn't have enough money, did they? But they shot this on a really low budget, so props to that. So he figures out that there is another way in and out of this cell, or a way in and out, because at one point he pees on the floor, and while he's locked in the bathroom, it's obvious that some kind of Roomba comes out and sweeps (laughs) up his, his cell for him. Later on in the film, he engineers a way to make that Roomba come out. And fortunately... It's a robot with quite a tall sort of camera mounted on it for some reason, so that the flap that it comes out of is big enough for a human being to crawl through. It's armed as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. It can defend itself because it, yeah, it, sh- it shoots the same things as the guys who were arresting him have. It can because yeah. you get zapped once by it. it. It looks like it hurts, but he can carry on. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's definitely so. So that if you know if, if the person manages to stay in their cell when the Roomba comes in the combat Roomba comes in, then they, they they can at least put him down. Well, he makes his way out through the passages and he emerges from a little um, hatch in the middle of the desert and he walks to a local a convenience store, gasping for something to drink. There's nobody there. 
no shopkeeper there. And then he sees the things that he normally sees on the wall of the coffee shop, which kind of trigger him when he's being shot. Pictures that the the barista had taken, apparently. When he when he gets out of his of the of the facility, it's an underground facility, mm. and it's it seems to be amongst a load of wind turbines, power producing turbines, which yeah. have the INS lettering and logo yeah. ISN, sorry, yeah, logo on them. And I think there's a few of them look like they're really old and they've rusted and they're not working properly. Mm. Could that possibly be an explanation for the power problem? The power outage, yeah, yeah. That there's there's some defective wind turbines. It possibly indicating he's been there a long time. Just a thought. It's like Groundhog Day again, and again a romantic comedy. Really, he's just going through the same thing again and again until he wins the girl. Well, Fletcher May, the 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 supposed, i.e., either the real leader of the resistance or uh, an actor or a figment of his imagination. There are three scenarios here. Uh, says that the way to to you know to kill the hardware is to cut the juice. He does so. Say so maybe, honestly, you know, the, the broken windmills are an indication that in reality the rebels have done that. Except, uh-huh. of course, when he gets out the hatch, is that still all within his dream? And he's, he's already an old man dreaming all this? Because we see him as an old man later in the movie, don't we? Yeah. Or is that his father? The thing I wondered about ISN on the side of a wind turbine was, given the budget that they had, presumably they couldn't have afforded to paint ISN on the side of a real wind turbine. So maybe they found wind turbines with ISN on the side and then just used that as a name for the organisation. But I, I, I'm of the opinion that Fletcher May was a real guy because I think the idea is why is a dialogue so spongy when he gets to the coffee, coffee house is the idea that, well, she's just a figment of his imagination and that's why kind of like the dialogue is clunky as it is. But then Fletcher turns up and Fletcher speaks in a very different way to how somebody imagining somebody else speaks, you know, when we put our when we imagine a voice in our head of somebody else, it's always our own voice, isn't it? But I think when Fletcher May turns up and he says, you know, and and uh, and Frank says, "Are oh, you a prisoner here too?" Fletcher May says, "No, I just got separated from the tour group." Kind of <laughs> yeah. very sarcastically, and that's not a way that Frank ever speaks. So yeah. from yeah. that, I I have to sort of my guess would be that Fletcher May is a plant, a real plant. Yeah. 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 And I, so, I, therefore, I we have to say, yes, a, a rebel bomb did occur, and that bomb possibly occurred because of virus mutations in whatever security systems that the ISM were running. It certainly wouldn't make any sense in this scenario to have an air vent you can speak through the neighbouring prison. <laughs> but at least it's not an air vent you can crawl through. So we'll give it its due there. Oh, I was going to say, when, when Frank's mounting his escape attempt, yes. don't we also see Gabby in another cell? Wow. Which made me think that she's... A, yeah, yeah, she's sitting... It shows her sitting in another cell. So she's acting it out. They put him under with the chloroform, and then she comes in and acts it all out. I d- wait, see, I don't know, because he, Frank doesn't interact with her at all. It's, he doesn't see her. He just runs... When he's running down the corridor, um, it just shows him running past a cell, and then it shows inside the cell, and she's sitting in a sitting in one of these other cells. So he really has escaped. It's not his imagination. She really is. They really are both working undercover in in the Alliance. Well, he, well, he gets out of the cell twice, doesn't he? Yeah. One of them yeah. is definitely imaginary because he wakes up when he goes. Yeah. He's in the desert and he wakes up. We're told it's imaginary, yeah. yeah. The second one, I think we're led to believe is real. Is real. 
It's that and, second one, I think, where we see Gabby in a cell. Wow, so that wow. suggests that she's a real, she is really there, and she is really in, uh, in prison. She doesn't look like she's pretending anything. She's sitting on a, on the fl- on the, the floor of the cell, looking really, really upset. Unless she's sad that Frank's leaving without her, I don't know. <laughs> but she looks pretty, uh, uh, yeah, pretty uh, f- uh, forlorn. Okay, so it's all real. But they do that bit quite effectively. That there's quite a nice twist, isn't there? When he escapes the second time, he. This time, he comes out of an underground thing in the mountains, high in the mountains with snow everywhere. He's making his way down the mountainside, and he comes on a stand of trees. And it's a picture of trees that has been his trigger thing. Yeah. Uh, a black and white picture of trees has been what's, what he was looking at when he was shot, and that brings him out of the dream every time. And he falls to his knees because he thinks he's seeing that same thing again. But then th- these couple of hikers walk past and ask if he's doing okay. I thought that was quite cute. That was the M. Night Shyamalan moment, wasn't it? But isn't there a suggestion, therefore, that Gabby is a shill and she's planning his incarceration and his escape and the people who rescue him are shills also and he's still within the Matrix? Yeah, maybe the whole thing is is still in his dream. Because they still haven't haven't got the virus key from him yet, have they? So I did get confused at that bit when he sees the the, the trees and the lake, though, because I, I, I thought, oh, well, that's actually a real scene now. But that's what he's been seeing as in yeah. pictorial form yeah. um, in in his in his fantasy things, his, his fugue states. So I must admit that's where I thought, oh, oh lord, is he still there or not? And I I must admit I got confused there. So are, are we suggesting the coffee scene never happened? These changes memories so much that he's just a fantasy by now. But no, the idea is he, him and Gabby are really underground, undercover and underground, and that they are working together to destroy. But at the end of the film, he goes back to the coffee shop and he, he starts trying to get off with her again in real life this time, doesn't he? Oh, but wait a minute. And you'd think an attractive barista would get that kind of ploy all the time, wouldn't you? Hi, I've already met you in my dreams. I was a prisoner. But they do say there are no other survivors. So how did she get yes. out? Oh, yeah. Hmm. If you really was imprisoned. That is a good point. So just one thing yeah. to say. You say there are no people crawling through ventilation vents. And Alice, as you just mentioned, he climbs up ladders. And there's nobody grabbing at his legs. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so two cinematic tropes. That they've missed it's a missed opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But so I think we're led to believe that no, in reality, it is all one big ploy to get him to reveal his secrets. He hasn't escaped. Gabby is dead. Uh, and that he's still roaming around his imagination. But I'll give you a third I'll give you a third option. But potentially <laughs> but potentially he has won because because he is the leader, he knew at the point where they tried to trick him with with an apparent leader of the resistance, he knew at that point to misdirect them. So he knows he can never escape, but he knows they can never find the virus key. Well, he's won. He's won, isn't he? If he's convinced himself that he's escaped, then mentally he's he's beaten them. Well, it did remind me of the end of 1984, mm. though, where Winston Smith is sitting, having been tortured horrifically in the Ministry of Love for however long he's in there. And then um, at the end of it, he's sitting in a cafe drinking that ghastly, cheap victory gin stuff. And he says everything, it's some, I forget what the last line is, but it's something like everything was all right because now he loved Big Brother. Yeah. 
because yeah. the state has won, hasn't it? And I yeah. just it just makes me think. Well, maybe it's, it's maybe the most crushing it. line in, in you know one of the most oh, crushing yeah. lines in, in literature. That's, I think that absolutely there is it's utterly hopeless, and mm. that was the sense I got at the end of this film. Is um, whether I was able to articulate it clearly, I don't know. But I just thought, oh God, it's still it's still there. He's still there. It's just he thinks that he thinks it's different now. So I don't know. Well, the other possibility is your, your third possibility. I alluded to this, I think, when we started choosing this film. I said it's a, an inverse of the situation, which is the AI in a box. This idea that if you make an AI, you have to... Well, you can't... There's no way of making a super intelligent AI and containing it within a box. It will always uh, finagle its way out in some way. Uh, this sounds like the reverse of it. You know, you described it, the synopsis described it as... Uh, you know, a, a man trapped by an AI and tries to escape, but maybe that's not what's happening. Maybe it is the AI that's trying to escape. Maybe this is all in a computer imagination. <laughs> oh, is Frank the AI? Maybe he Frank is the AI trying to get his way out of the its box. I have one more maybe. That's a really good maybe. Those are much better maybes than mine. But I have okay. one more maybe. Maybe this is all just a rebel training camp. <laughs> like when they capture Monday. SAS guys and put them yeah. through. Yeah, interrogations could be. Yeah, that's a good one. Because so. like, you know that, like that computer, options. it fails the Turing test quite early on, doesn't it? When he just asks <laughs> you that question over and over again. I mean, they've not come very far because I think there are computers that can now carry out a passable conversation for you know quite a while at the moment. So sure, by yeah. the time we've got drones flying down the streets and scanning people's for their their coffee orders, you'd think that they'd be able to uh, be more. What's the word? I mean, you know, Google is... Also, why does it have a robot voice if they're trying to make it sound human? Weird. I mean, because Google doesn't sound like that, does it? It doesn't sound like a robot. It sounds like a, a woman speaking I to thought you. it sounded quite personable. Not when yeah, it but malfunctioned. You could, but you could tell oh, no, it was no. a robot. It had a robot voice, didn't it? Uh, hello. Hello. <laughs> when it repeated it, when it repeated it, so oh, there was a bit of a slight ring modulator. Like a, yeah, code, a bit of a mash, yeah. make, smash kind of voice to it, yeah. yeah. Or, ring, or vocoders. Have you, have you heard of the book about vocoders? The history of no. vocoders? No. Oh, it's great. It's called How to Wreck a Nice Beach, as in how to ruin <laughs> a nice seaside um, vista. Uh-huh. And that's because when apparently when vocoders were first developed, it was supposed to be for um, communication, anti-espionage communications. Wow. And uh, somebody wrote a manual on it, and it was called How to Recognize Speech. But the vocoder was so bad that when they said how to recognise speech, the person at the other end who was trying to decode cool. it wrote down how to wreck a nice beach. So somebody, somebody's written a history of the vocoder and it's called how to wreck a nice beach. So there's a, you'd never guess what that book was about unless you knew. It's time for scores. I think we start with science. What do we think about the science in this movie? Beat, what's your score for science, Paul? I don't know. I'm too lazy to read it, Rich. <laughs> Listen, there's nothing wrong with the science in this movie, right? There's nothing in this movie that couldn't be achieved except perhaps some of the mind control bits. But maybe not. I mean, plenty of prisoners have been mind-controlled, haven't they, over the years? Well, I thought the science was rather mundane. I thought the scanners, you know, the social the social currency scanners or whatever they are, you know, could have been, you know, human barcoding, human tagging with with uh, with embedded embedded chips. Could have, we could have seen a bit more of the science, but obviously they were on a a pretty tight budget, so we'll let that pass. 
but yeah, no, no real problems with the way that AI was presented here. Um, you know, the way that a dystopian authoritarian future government would use technology to control a population. So yeah, I have no problems with it. There's no problems, yeah, but as you say, maybe they didn't even didn't try to go. There's there's no real leap of imagination here, or really. Yeah, or any attempt to represent it in an exciting or or enchanting way. So I'm going to go for a steady six on this, Rich. Alistair, you moved to fire a score in. I was gonna I was gonna say that that nothing required a paradigm shift in order to make it believable, no, did it? It was true. all it all looked like it was made of real world technology bits and pieces i thought i know it's a soft science but the psychology i thought was very good mm. in the sense that you know, playing with your mind as a viewer and not knowing whether or not you frank is in a, in a dream state or not i mean the fact is that you know we've admitted that it freaked us out yeah, a bit as a film it worked, i think yeah. i think that as a you know if we're looking at it from that point of view and also the sociology of rebel rebels and resistances and things like that how is it done in in the modern world it's much harder to to do this sort of thing today than mm-hmm. it used to be and you, some people think it's easier with technology being with us being so dependent on technology but actually maybe not i think it's we're so much more atomized as societies that it's harder so i think there's a lot the hard and soft sciences were quite well represented in this so i'd probably give it um a, a respectable seven high praise indeed I'll split the difference. I'll say six and a half. Yeah, no, it, it, generally good. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, Paul, you marking it down here is down to the aerial drones, which you think are unbelievable. And I think the, I never, Richard, if you misrepresent, misrepresent me again, I shall then. send a cease and desist from my lawyer. <laughs> Look, historically, in this whole comp- 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 past, in this podcast, you have accused me of rampant sexism on the basis of not liking the patronising way in which. I erroneously thought that women, an all-woman movie was an all-woman movie. It wasn't. There were lots of dead cadavers of previous human creations in the first movie we ever saw. Okay, moving on to today. What, what are you saying about me today, Richard? Well, people don't people don't want to know about the, our psychodrama. No, that's why. No, no, no. That's why we listen. <laughs> it was in mute. You said a drone could not possibly carry a Chinese takeaway. I did not. I was <laughs> making a point about the hinged. Heavy underweight with no stabilizing gyroscopes and gimbals noticeable on the on the drone itself, Richard. Nothing to do about drone technology. Let's talk about the acting then. I, I mean, I thought he, I thought Frank, whoever played Frank, carried it quite well because I mean, it's not easy to do, is it? You know, we've done lots of lockdown movies. Yeah. We've done lots of people stuck in space on their own. It's a big. And he was stuck in. I mean, he wasn't even in space, so yeah. it was even more boring. You know, there's no no stars to look at. He was just in a room. With no there was one windows. bit where I thought I didn't really believe it. When he was getting Drinking mad water. after one of the first oh. times. Uh, when he was getting mad? It, it looked a bit like drama school. But he'd probably been told, whatever you yeah. do, don't touch the milk crates that form the back wall of your cell because <laughs> they'll just fall over. <laughs> I mean, I thought he was really thirsty at one point and he didn't do that well. He was like... He was all gluggy, gluggy, but he wasn't really convincing. So, yeah, but then it's him for an hour and a half. So what do you expect? He's going to fall down at some point. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It must have been really hard work, I think. All of these films, all all of these films that we've seen, well, many of them rather, have tiny casts that have had to carry, you know, a lot of the action and a lot of the drama. And, and sometimes lack of dialogue too. <laughs> yeah. A big theme in a lot of these films though, and a lot of science, good science fiction films as well, is actually about 
connection with humans and have and best way to illustrate that is by having a small number of, of people in a in a film or one one or two or even just one or having in this case you know we've got a thing with just only, i think there are only ever two people we yeah. see talking at any one time um at most or, or you've got um, a human talking with an ai and how can can you have a connection with those? So I think it's a theme. It's a very common theme, certainly in all the films that that you guys have been reviewing in your podcast. It's been all, there all the way through, and it's and again, it's I return back to that thing about sci-fi. Is it's about what's being what is human, and sometimes we only know when we're when we're having to meet another human. So I think this this carries on that that tradition very nicely. I think so for acting and recognizing the effort. I'll give this film an eight myself. I'm going to go seven because I think there were bits that weren't entirely believable, but massive props. No, I'm going to go seven and a half because the guy was really good. I think the the woman playing Gabby was mostly believable yeah. as well. Um, the guy voicing Howard was was yeah. very good. I thought actually he had quite he had you know he had quite a personable voice. He sounded like a really clever personal assistant. But yeah, the the guy playing Frank, I thought on the whole. With a big ask, did a did a sterling job. So seven and a half from me. Oh, I like Alice's point about you know when 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 you're isolated out in space, it kind of throws you know, the human connection into into a highly contrasted silhouette, doesn't it? So you can really tease out the way that people connect when rules don't exist anymore. And I thought you got a sense of how him and Gabby meant something to each other you wouldn't necessarily in another kind of movie so and I, I thought that was all played out quite well and i thought he carried it well so i'm gonna go for a 7.5 on this all right let's do special effects and action the bits that they had were relatively relatively well done but it was quite conservative wasn't it it was one set one coffee shop and a little laser scanner <laughs> maybe some uh futuristic guns but they looked like ordinary guns didn't they yeah and a USB key. I mean, we've all seen a USB key before. There's nothing special about that. For me, the thing was the Roomba that came in and was cleaned up and was supposed to be terrifying. It literally was just a Roomba, <laughs> you know. And I thought that could have been... And why was it just behind some metal doors? You know, you'd think that if this was high security, it all would have been a bit more tunnels within tunnels hmm. kind of thing. So the effects and how the set worked with the effects, I generally have no problem with it. I'm going to give it a steady 5.5. I thought it achieved its atmosphere mm. quite well. I think, and I think that's that's of that's the, usually the the uh, the domain of set and lighting yeah. and sound. And I think it did a good job. It felt like a comfortable yet cl- claustrophobic space, even though it wasn't a tiny mm. cell. The fact that I definitely felt, oh, you can't get out of this, and that 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 was that was quite effective. And the you know things like you had to ask permission to go to the bathroom in it and things like that. So. I thought I thought the effect in that sense, especially that spinning fan thing, the way that they managed to turn that into a, yeah. a hypnotic sinister device thing, was yeah. really good. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was because it was it was just sinister from the get go. That thing you didn't didn't know what was going on with that, and and I really liked it when he. he this is not really a special effect, but I suppose it's when he came out of the the flap into the desert. I thought, well, that's quite a, a good device in that sense. But there's no real action no. in the film. I suppose there was his escape attempts, but they 
they weren't really it didn't matter so much that they were that they were done well in terms of stunts i suppose um they did the job i think i think the the effects in this film were entirely adequate yeah they'll get um i think they'll get a 6 from me because that's given a, a there are 5 because they're good but a 6 because of the 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 very tight I, budget I think you make a- a valid point about because there is no action I think we can bring in set lighting and sound effects into our effects for the budget yeah I'll I'll have to mark it up so I think I'll give it a 6 too yeah otherwise it was pretty average but let's talk then about the script yeah plot script that kind of stuff so we're very well organised we're probably really offending Alistair here you know no. Oh, plot script. It's all the same. The, the one thing I'll say about this is, I guess if we are agreed that it was all in his mind or it's all a computer simulation, then maybe this doesn't matter. But early on, at the start, when he's asking Howard to help him out, he says that he's got a dog at home. And we never hear about the dog or its fate ever again. So if we're supposed to think at the end that it's a romantic comedy and he gets off with the barista then there's still a dead dog to worry about. <laughs> so for that, I'm going to mark it back down to a six. A six. But it's thought-provoking, right? You know, we've, we've thought about it, definitely. Alistair, what did you think? Well, I'm going to I'm gonna go a bit higher than that. I'm, I'm going to give it a seven, because I think given that this is a, a set of film tropes or story tropes even that have been used before, yeah. we've mentioned Groundhog Day numerous times um, and other Blackout. sorts of, you know, <laughs> like other, yeah this has been it's been done yeah. before as all of this hasn't it yet i found this film very engaging still very thought-provoking now and so and that that's not just because of anything like the acting or the scripts i mean those things all help sorry the acting or effects i mean um so i think the story was was well written as a story i think the dialogue was a little dry in parts but i think it was certainly enough to uh, to keep things moving I think the story's good, though. I like the story. That's the thing that's really stayed with me and kept me going. So, yeah, it gets a seven from me. Yeah, I have to concur with that. I mean, did nobody else get metamorphosis by Frank Cam- Franz Kafka out of this? You know, where he wakes up as a dung beetle. I, th- I think, actually, you mentioned Kafka before, didn't you? And I think, I think there is, you're right, there is a Kafkaesque yeah. element to this. I think there is that. That sense of not knowing why he's there and nobody telling him why he's there certainly feels Kafkaesque to start with but later on because it becomes maybe maybe there is a reason why he's there that that element maybe recedes yeah, a little as that yeah. as it goes on but certainly to start with you're absolutely I think you're spot on there yeah which is that's no mean feat you know I mean yeah you, okay maybe people can people can mimic Kafka quite easily these days if they want to but to pull it off is not not so easy so yeah I think you're right I mean well I thought it's because you know people often think about Kafka in that kind of Terry Gilliam Brazil way the grandiose grandiosity of bureaucracy but really in his books it's all about the disheveled small kind of shriveled nature of bureaucracy and I I just thought he kind of got you know that sense of containment you know the quotidian everyday aspect of bureaucracy down in this in this movie. It represents the second time Paul has used the word quotidian on the podcast. <laughs> it's a great word. Uh, have I? I've used that before. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's I okay. should use the word hebdomadaire the next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Boom shakalaka. Hebdomadaire. Yeah. So, well, I, yeah, I have to concur with, with what both of you have said. However... I don't think it's clear that he either did or did not did did or did not win, did or did not escape. Some of it, all of it, or none of it was real or imaginary. And for me, this is the brilliance of the movie. I think there's no way of deciding what actually happened in the end. 
And for me, I've got to score it in 9.5 just for that. Whoa. Yeah. Man. I, I get that. No, fair, fair play. I think you're right. It does it keep does you thinking, keep you doesn't thinking. it? You know, you just don't know. Yeah. Is it all real or not? Yeah. And you could, and of course, that means it's it's entirely up for a, a multiple yes. watchings then, isn't it? Which is usually a, spotting, a good sign. So, you know, yeah, that's clues, a very, a very good point. to be spotted in there somewhere, I guess. I guess there must be some yep. way of concluding if it, if it's all, all real or just a dream in a dream or a dream. But maybe like Frank, your your experience of the film changes slightly each time you watch it. Whoa. Depending on what mood you're in. That's it. Wow. Uh, look, listen, I'm hoping for then for a big <laughs> score from you, Paul, for overall. I'm going to give this one a, a highly enjoyable thought piece eight. It is very thought provoking. And yeah, we've had plenty to talk about amazingly, even though we, none of us thought we would. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's, a very austere movie, right? It is, Talking yeah. about a film, a, a full film set in a, a small jail cell with occasional visits to Starbucks. We're in lockdown. What do you expect? <laughs> this is not what you want. In it's, a, not it's, it's, it's not Starbucks. It's not Starbucks. Gabby owns that coffee shop. She's a sole trader. She owns that it coffee shop. It looks like a Starbucks, so, though, it says, it? A lot like yeah, a Starbucks. It's what, it's what people want. <laughs> <laughs> That's the message, actually. It doesn't matter. What, yeah. You can't escape it. Yeah, Scary, isn't it? Gilded prison. For the fact that it's a little bit austere, I'm going to give it a 6.5. But it, it is thought-provoking. I, I don't want to... Yeah, It's a recommend still, but, you know, a god recommend. I've been cruising on a 7 with this um, whilst we've been talking because um, cause of all of the, the, the good things that it's got going about it. But, yeah, uh, I've been as I've been reminded about it more and more as we've been talking, actually, actually yeah, it is, it is very thought-provoking. And I would like to watch it again. I genuinely enjoyed it and found it freaky at times. So it, it did move me. I really did like it. So I think that plus the the fact that it's on a, a small budget, I've got to mark it up. So I'm going to give it a, a, a genuine oh. thumbs up eight. And I would recommend it. It was actually on my watch list anyway, this one on my Amazon Prime On the same Prime basis, list. can I return to Iowa um, but- and rescore it, please? <laughs> <laughs> please do. I can't remember what I scored. On the basis of your review, I'm going to mark it up retrospectively one point higher than what I gave it. Definitely. Think I think what did you give it? Six? I'm not sure. I might even have your scores here. No, stop, please. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you, oh, Paul, you gave it a damp squib of a four, to quote oh, you oh. directly. And Rick, you gave it a three on the basis of... And that was after, after you'd admitted that you've already seen it before as well, and Ooh. you couldn't remember it. I mean, honestly, yeah. if, a film, if a film... I genuinely think if a film can't engage you, enough to even recognise that you've seen it before until you get to the end. It doesn't that's deserve a, a very high score. That's using our knee-jerk reactions. But, I mean. <laughs> so, yeah, Rick gave it a three, Paul gave it a, a, a four. So. Hey, listen, it's time to figure out what we're going to watch for next week's movie. Yes, Daddy. Well, we've got Alistair here, who we know has an Amazon wish list of films to watch. So if there's anything on an Alistair's wish list, we should tackle that, shouldn't we? I would. Let me let me get it up. Let me call up my wish list and have a look. I've got two backups in case you don't. Okay. There's one called Coherence, which is described as a mind, ah. a mind-bending sci-fi thriller as a know? group of friends take a trip through alternate realities. I checked that out the other night. No, I checked it out for. Did you watch it? You know, for when it's my turn to recommend movies to, as an idea, should I should I recommend this one? I think you've already suggested it, or did you suggest Convergence? I've suggested both, I think. But I definitely looked at that two nights ago. Coherence. That. Well, let's do Coherence then. Wow, that was quick. Okay, what we're gonna? Can I ask what your 
Oh, your fallbacks. Yeah, my be. fallbacks are going to be divergence or convergence. <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of ending words here. Coherence, then. Paul, you want for it? Yeah, it sounds like uh, intellectual Bill and Ted. <laughs> I'm up for the Bill and Ted. Don't know, if, don't know if I'm up for the intellectualism. Well, we've we've proven that over the course. But it's good to have a clown along for the ride, is it not? Yes. <laughs> is that me? No, me. No, <laughs> you're you're Sorry. the clever one of the Marx Brothers, Carl. And it's now time <laughs> to cue the music. closing theme music on In a three, on two. a two, on a one. Thank you.